Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? It is good to see you all, and we've got folks online. It's just a big party this morning, and we're all happy to be a part of it. Uh, it's, a, it's another we're celebrating. It's a long weekend. Most of us have the day off tomorrow, so that's cool, too, because we can all take naps. So enjoy your nap tomorrow. I know I will. Uh, we are here on a Sunday, and we are uh, here on the last Sunday of our uh, series in Galatians, where we've been walking through Galatians. It's a series called Baseline, and, uh, and we've been looking at how what Paul is saying when he writes this letter to the church of Galatia, what he's essentially saying, the overarching theme is, um, you know what? To live by faith in Christ is to live with the aim of love. And so he spends most of his time in this letter talking about law and freedom and grace and love and spirit and flesh. And, and the whole letter is encouraging the church at Galatia to explore the idea of being free in Christ and what it means to live in that freedom. And so he, he kind of captures some of that uh, in chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be in verse 6, uh, or not verse 6, chapter 6, which is the last one. But real quick in chapter 5, at the very end of chapter 5, he says, since we live by the Spirit, since we are made alive by the Spirit, since we breathe and act and do everything because of the Spirit, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us follow the Spirit. Even more than follow, let us attach ourselves to, hold ourselves to this Spirit, which is God. And the question I've, I've had, as I, I've wrestled with as I was reading through that verse, is, you know, that's really good, but what does it actually look like to live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, when we live in a world with sin? Like, this is this great thing to, to live out and do, but how does that impact the fact, our, our everyday lives when we live with a world that has sin? How do you live in this world that's kind of a mess? right? We live in this world that's a little bit messed up uh, because we live in a world where people still sin. And the struggle that we find with living by faith in Christ, living with freedom and love, is, is does that mean that you should stop caring about sin? What does that mean? Does that, are, are, aren't we supposed to say something when we see something? You know, I, I've got a person in my life where, you know, at one point I saw something that they were doing, and it wasn't right, it wasn't healthy, it wasn't good. And so I went to have a conversation with them. And I approached them, and I had all good intentions. I, I went and I, to have a conversation with them, and, and, and I approached them, and I had this list of th ways, uh, of facts, and, and ways and ideas that I knew were right. If they just did, listen, if you just did this, you know, what, what's going on in your life? Well, is this working out for you? All this sort of stuff. And if you just did this, you would stop doing what you're doing, and you would be in a good spot. And do you want to know how well that worked out? I mean, you can probably guess because you have those moments in your life. It, it, you know, first there was a little bit of combativeness, a little bit of pushing back, and then finally there was like, okay, 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 I see. And, you know, you walk away feeling like, all right, I've made a difference in this world. And then, you know, a week and a half later, it comes up again. And you go through the same process, and then this time, you're okay, they got it this time. And then a week and a half later, it comes up again. And you keep having this conversation, and you get stuck, and you finally start asking yourself, well, what am I supposed to do? Clearly, what I'm doing is not working. Am I supposed to just uh, not worry about it, to ignore this thing uh, that's sinful? Am I supposed to, to just, you know, put it out of my mind, ignore it, not care? Or 
you know, I really hope it's not the fact that I just need to keep being the moral police. I, I hope it's not, I'm not, I hope I'm not having to just every single time I see something, you know, pull up and write a, a sin ticket and hand it out to them. What am I supposed to do? Here's the beauty of Galatians. Is Paul informs us of what we do. And it's good news because he tells us we don't have to be the moral police, but we also don't have to to ignore it. We can still care about it. We don't have to stop caring about it. We just approach it differently. We approach these conversations, these interactions, these engagements differently because of the grace and love and freedom in Christ that Paul talks about in Galatians. And so, oftentimes, the question that comes up when we see somebody struggling in sin, stumbling in sin, is we, we ask ourselves or each other the question, when do I say something? When does it get to the point where I need to say something so that this will stop? And I think when we read through Galatians, and what we'll see here late, you know, later, is that Paul is asking us not to ask the question, when do I say something? But he's instead challenging us to ask the question of how do I say something? I'm going to engage, but how do I say it? Not when do I say it? And so he ends his letter here in chapter 6 with an example, a concrete, real example of what it means to walk in the Spirit, what it means to ask the question of how do I say something? So chapter 6, verse 1, he says this, Brothers and sisters, essentially all of you all, if someone is caught in a sin, if somebody is overwhelmed, overtaken, struggling, you know, under the burden of sin, you who live by the Spirit, you who are alive by the Spirit, should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. So if someone is overwhelmed and caught in a sin, in, a, in an error, in a false step, in a moment of failure, restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. And so, if we were to ask ourselves, how do I say something in this moment? Perhaps the best answer would be, being gentle matters, matters more than being right. Being gentle matters more than being right. There's something that we should not skip over here in this passage, uh, and it's this. Notice who Paul is talking to and who he'll continue to talk through throughout the passage. He is speaking to the actions and the attitudes of those who are spiritual, those who live by the Spirit, rather than the attitudes and actions of those who have sinned. Catch that. What's coming next is all about how do you have an attitude and behave if you live in the Spirit when you engage with someone who has sinned. He is, that's what this is all about. That's what we should be paying attention to, not how do you convince someone they're wrong and you're right. And so he says, uh, restore that person gently. Now that word restore there, it, it essentially means to put back in order, to return something, something to its formal, condi uh, 
Yeah, former condition. And when uh, it's talked about in an ethical and a moral sense, when it's talking about people being restored, it's, it means to restore them to that former good and beautiful state that God created them to live in. And so restore them to this beautiful uh, state that God created them to live in and do it gently. Do it with humility. Do it with consideration for who they are as a human being. And there's, there's real significance here. He didn't, Paul is not, you know, he's not just throwing words around. Uh, it's significant that he says and combines restore and gently. Because all of us, when we think about the idea of restore, of returning somebody, getting somebody to turn around, get back to where they're supposed to be, we can think of two different approaches that we tend to take. You can restore with an agenda and try and force it, or you can restore with gentleness. And here's... Here's what I mean. Oftentimes we can restore uh, approach restoration with a spirit uh, of gentleness, but sometimes we'll forget that. When, uh, long ago, um, I, when I was young and would play soccer and stuff, uh, you know, I just out of college and, uh, and I was playing soccer and I just happened to, I was running down the field and I happened to plant my leg and run into a guy at just the right time and I tore up my ACL in my left knee. And that hurts. You should know that. Um, and so I go through, and, and, and it's time to get my surgery, and I get my surgery, and I'm out of the hospital. And it, you know, if you've had any sort of like major surgery, on, especially on your legs uh, or hips, you've got to go through some physical therapy, right? You've got to relearn shoulders. You've got to relearn how to use that thing. You've got to get it back to where it was. And so I would go to my, my physical therapist, and I would, uh, I would go there, and I would lay down on this table. And he would have me lay down on my stomach. And then I would lift my leg up and bend it as much as I could because this was all about restoring it, getting it back to its full flexibility. And then when I bent it as far as I could, he would grab it, grab me by the ankle or by the toes, and just start pushing my foot towards my body and working, trying to work through all that scar tissue that kept it from bending and going back to where it was supposed to be. And I will tell you this, I have had appendicitis, I tore my ACL, I've broken bones. There is nothing more painful in the world. I have not experienced a greater pain than that moment when he is trying to force the flexibility. When he just keeps trying to push it back to what my eyes would, I would literally start crying in pain because it hurt so much to have him just try and force it back into what it's supposed to be. That's not gentle. It's trying to force something back to be something. But then there's a gentle restoration. I was, uh, I was watching YouTube videos this week, and one of the videos I watched was a, um, <clears throat> the restoration of like an old picture, an old painting. And uh, it was just, it was fascinating to me to watch how they did this, uh, because you get, and I have some pictures here, I think, you, you get these paintings that have been weathered and worn by time. They've got grime and all this sort of stuff that it has defaced them, has gotten them to what, not what they were supposed to be, and they're just not as bright and beautiful. Uh, and so people would go and they would, you know, you restore them. You return them to their, their original beautiful state. And how they did this was fascinating to me because what they did is they would take the tiniest little brushes and the, the softest little Q-tips that you could find, and they would take whatever little uh, you know, liquid it was that would kind of clean the thing, and they would just sit there and gently scrub it. 
And gently scrub it and do it, you know, and, and not too hard. You don't want to press too hard, not too fast, but it was just it was this gentle thing. It looked like it took forever. And then the most important part of all of that was when it was time to remove the painting from the frame because the frame itself was also all messed up and broken and, and it was contributing to the, the, the poor state of the picture itself. And so you have to remove it from the, the frame and you slowly and gently take this, this, this kind of knife instrument and you slide it gently underneath without lifting, but you've got to stay nice and flat because with these old paintings, if you lift them, if you do it too quickly, too violently, too, too much, you'll end up bending the painting. You'll end up cracking the painting. You'll end up causing flakes of paint to fall off. And so you've actually left it in a worse state than you found it. And so you treat it with gentleness. And you're able to then restore and remove all the grime and the dirt and the dust and the things of life that have worn and defaced it and put it back to its beautiful self. So the question I'd ask, all of us have had moments where we, we've felt like we need to engage with someone who has sinned, who has fallen short, who has damaged maybe a relationship with us. And when we do that, are we bending and breaking people to get them back to where we think they should be? Or are we gently helping them remove the grime of life and brokenness and sin so that they can be the beautiful thing God meant them to be? Are we restoring it to the good and beautiful thing that God created? You see, gentle restoration is opposite of feeling like I need to vocalize and drive home my, my point and my sense of disapproval, as if that will change something. It's having the humility to recognize that I'm not supposed to be coming at this with an agenda of restoring them to the image of who I think they should be, but gentleness actually is helping to restore them to the good and beautiful free person that God made them to be. So restore gently. And then he has this kind of this weird admonition in there as well where he says, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. And it's you can read that, you can be like, okay, well, so what Paul is saying is you go to this person, you restore them gently, but be careful, don't get too involved because you don't want to fall into the same sin that they've fallen into. But when you start to think, I don't think that's what Paul is saying because I can tell you from my own life experience, I'm generally not, I don't show up and then want to fall into the same sin. That's usually not how it works. And I bet if, if we were all to examine you know, how we've engaged with people, that's usually not the case. Maybe there are some cases, but that's, that's really not usually what happens. I think Paul is saying something else here that he's warning us about. It's not about being careful that you fall into the exact same thing. Be careful. Don't, don't mess up just like they messed up. But it's bringing our attention to the fact that we are not above falling ourselves. We are not above falling into sin ourselves. Watch yourselves so that you may not be tempted, that you may not feel superior, like you're never going to fall into sin. Because if you, if you are feeling that way, it's hard to restore somebody gently. Uh, on Friday, this past Friday, uh, my boys and I went to uh, that rock climbing place, Rock Solid, down by Costco. And, uh, and one of my sons had been there before. Uh, myself and my younger son hadn't been there before. And so we show up and they give you, you know, uh, your shoes that are all cool and you feel like you're like, some sort of rock climbing ballerina, and then 
you get your harness that is weird and, and you know scrunches all the wrong things and then you go to the wall and they and i'm getting ready i'm like okay that wall looks good I, I bet i could do the one where i hang upside down like you know tom cruise i'll just go there and the guy's like no 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 no. come over here to this tiny wall and so he takes me and my my youngest son over to the tiny wall and he said before you climb the first thing that you need to do is learn how to fall. Did you know that? The first thing when you go to these places, they, they don't say like, you know, make sure you grab this thing, make sure you don't, you know. They say, do you know how to fall? If not, let me teach you. Why do they do that? Well, it's because whether you think you actually are going to or not, the truth of the matter is everybody falls. The most seasoned pro to the very first beginner, everybody has a moment where they fall. And so you better learn how to. And this is what Paul is saying. Watch yourselves, because everybody falls. We've all been overwhelmed uh, by something unhealthy, something that's not good in our lives. We've all had times where because of choices we've made, we've shown up and we are not bringing our best selves because we're racked with guilt and shame. And so the truth is, Paul says, you know what? Here's why you restore gently, because when it's time for your restoration, you want people to be gentle with you. Don't we? And so what, is, what do I want when somebody approaches me? Because essentially, whatever I want, that's how I should be approaching them. When, when somebody approaches me, I want gentleness. I want kind words instead of harsh words, instead of corrective words. I want kind tones instead of an angry, exasperated tone. I want somebody who is sensitive to that. I'm a human being, and I'm not just the mistakes that I make, but I have wounds, I have issues, I have all these sorts of things that make me who I am and be sensitive to that. And if I know that that is the person that's approaching me, then I know that, that I can start this journey of restoration, and I'm willing to trust that. So Paul, he says this, then he goes on to verse 2, and he says, okay, so we've got that, be careful, restore gently. Then he says, carry each other's burdens, this idea of carry, bear patiently each other's burdens, the things that weigh a person down, that exhaust them, that, that just use up their emotional resources. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Bear patiently person who is exhausted. Bear patiently their weight, their pain. So when we think about, well, how do I speak to this person? We realize that being patient also matters more than being right. Being gentle matters more than being right, but being patient also matters more than being right. And I want to back up and I want to look at this verse real quick. Pretend that we don't know that this verse comes out of the book of Galatians. Pretend that we know this verse comes from the Bible, but we, we have no idea where it comes from, and we're just going to read it in a vacuum, which we're not generally going to do with our Bibles, but just pretend for the moment that this is what we're going to do. And I'm going to read this again. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. What does this passage, this verse, sound like it's meant to be? It's meant to be a verse that's supposed to help the hurting the lost, the wounded. Doesn't that sound like that? It's not at all about 
you know, how are you going to confront or anything like that. It sounds like it's about how are you going to love? Because he talks about fulfill the law of Christ. And when we think of what is the law of Christ, well, we'll go back when Christ was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, the greatest commandment is to love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is just like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. And again, when we look at that, and what it means for us and how we say something, means that being patient matters more than being right. It means we don't miss who the person is. We have conversations, but we take into account the burdens that are weighing them down. That there might be something behind the behavior that is causing the behavior. We see that they're being drained by this, and so I'm not going to challenge you right away. I'm going to come beside you. Rather than stand in front of you and confront, I'm going to walk beside and carry. So going back to, to my rock climbing experience, we go there, we learn how to fall. I become an expert at it. I was told, the people that work there said, you are the best faller we've seen ever. <clears throat> I wear that with a badge of honor. Uh, so we go, uh, and uh, as I said, my, my oldest son had been there before. He goes off, and he is like just owning it. It's amazing to watch what he's doing. Um, but again, myself and my younger son have never done this. And so I, I decide, okay, first, my younger son's really excited. I'm going to go with him, and, and we're going to work out and, and see how he does. So he gets to this wall. It's about 15, 18 feet high, and it's one where you can climb up and then get to the top and, like, stand like a champion and, and stuff like that. I'm king of the world. And, uh, and so he starts up the wall, and he gets up about this high. And I'm impressed because we've never done this before. He did not, you know, he's never done this before. And he gets up about this high. So I'm already impressed. And, and then all of a sudden he stops and he's just against the wall. And he, he, he's saying, I, I, I'm done. I want to get down. I, I can't do it anymore. Uh, you know, I, I can't reach. And there's a part of me that wanted to be like, but, but look how high you are. Just keep going. Look, grab that one. No, then grab that one. Then push, push, do that. Come on, you can do it. Look how far you've gotten already. But the other part of me that actually went out said, okay, well, hold on a second. And I reached up and I put my hand on his back and I took a little bit of weight, carried a little bit of that burden. I said, okay, you're good. I've got you. Reach up. Reach up again. Keep going. And as I held my hand, he got higher and higher and higher until he finally didn't even need my hand and he made it to the top. Because in one moment, I was able to take some of that burden, take some of that weight, take some of that fear, and empower him to move forward. You know, it's patience. Remember, it's easy to forget in the struggle of sin is that there's a struggle behind the sin. There's fear. There's anxiety. There's a wondering if I matter. There's, there's things within us that make the action happen. And to help resolve that, restore us, we need somebody who is patient and can walk with us. Have you ever uh, struggled with doing something wrong and you've, somebody's come alongside you or you've gone to talk to somebody about it and within a few moments you realize that they don't actually see you but they're just now trying to solve the puzzle of the problem that, that's in your life? And you're just sitting there being like, I know all that. 
I need somebody to walk with me to help me figure out this. I need you to be patient that I'm not always going to make it to where you want me to make it. But you're still going to be there to help me figure out what the next step is. Because isn't that what we would rather have? Wouldn't you want somebody to come alongside you and say, look, I know this is tough. I know that you want to change. I know that this, you don't like this about yourself. But listen, you don't have to do this right away. Sometimes it takes steps. You don't have to get all the way there in the first day. I know that you probably have a pace and a journey that God has you on, and I'm going to help you on that journey rather than tell you how fast you need to finish the journey. Wouldn't that be great? And if we would want that, then shouldn't we do that for others? So he reads through this thing, and he says, you know, be patient, bear each other's burdens, uh, restore gently, and then he gets to verse 3. And I, I don't want us to miss what Paul is doing here in verse 3, because I think it's really important. Uh, because these first two verses show us that, you know, we're, we're, relationships based on gentleness and patience are the ones that thrive and, and the ones that help resolve and address sin. And there are some of us in here who, I bet we read Paul and we say, yeah, yeah, I get that, Paul, you bet. We're tempted to say, yes, you're right. Patience, gentleness, I've got it. You know, and we, we walk out with this mindset. Yes, patience is, is the truth. I just need to tell them the truth. That shows how patient I am. And, right, and gentleness as well. It's, I, if I convince them I'm right, then I'm in the end going to be gentle because we, you know, we can just move them along here. And that's the gentle thing. I'm saving them from pain. And it's essentially it's like, yeah, we got it, Paul, but no, we don't really get it. And what Paul is doing in verse 3 here, we'll see, is he's saying, look, I know you're listening, but are you actually hearing what I'm saying? I know you're listening, but do you actually hear what I'm saying? And here's what he says. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. If anybody has this opinion of themselves that is not based on the reality around them, it's just this opinion that's come out of thin air that has no basis in reality, then they have misled themselves. And here's the problem. When I have a, a picture of myself that's not based on reality, the truth is anything not based on reality is going to crumble. It doesn't last. Because it's not true. You all have probably uh, been very uh, you know, impressed by my bright red shoes here. Some of you may have been so distracted. You're like, what is he talking about? I get it. I have my bright red shoes. These are my, uh, my favorite shoes. I got them as a gift. They are my, my special, I don't know if you can see the Arizona Wildcat on the side there, my special Arizona Wildcat running shoes. They are made for the Arizona Wildcat track team. Yes. Now, all right, Mo note it down. We got an applause for Arizona Wildcat track and field. First time ever in Cass's history. Make a note. Now, I wear my, my and on the sides, uh, you know, you all can probably read this, but just in case you can't, uh, on the side, it says, engineered to the exact specifications of world-class runners. And here I am wearing these shoes. And I could wear these, and I could try and convince you all, look, I am a world, I'm wearing the shoes, I'm clear, it says they're made for world-class runners. I could try and convince you, but we all know that these shoes, I am no world-class runner. These shoes do not make me a world-class runner, no matter 
how much I claim to be one or even believe that I am one, right? I could leave here today and, and, you know, once school's back in session at the U of A, I could go down to the track and say hi to the track team and I could show up there to the track and I could be wearing those short, 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 short running shorts and I could be wearing that very tight whatever they wear on top thing uh, and, and I could go down there and I, I might even, you know, I could say, okay guys, world-class runner in the house and I might even be able to convince a few people because I can do that cool thing at the starting line before they go where they do the high knees and it looks like, oh, they go fast and I could do that. And all of a sudden, when the starting pistol goes off, though, and I make it 13 steps in before I fall down with a torn hamstring, it's going to be clear to everybody there, including myself, that I am no world-class runner. I have no clue of what I'm doing, and I've been deceiving myself the entire time. And that's what makes deceiving ourselves so damaging is because generally when we find ourselves deceiving ourselves, when the truth comes out, there's some pain. There's some hurt. There's some disappointment. And so when we think about how do we approach somebody, how do we say it, sometimes before we even say anything, we need to make sure that we see the truth of ourselves. Will you see the truth of yourself. And here's what I mean by this. I don't want to go in the negative. What I, what I want to say is the truth of yourself is you are made in God's image. You are a child of God. You are deeply loved. You are valued. You have been created in a special way with a unique purpose. That is the truth of yourself. And if you can see the truth of yourself, then you can start to see the truth of the person in front of you and that they are the same thing. You can see the truth that we all will struggle and fall short. And we can see the truth that we're all the same. And all of a sudden, we can ask ourselves, is being right more important than being gentle and patient? And we could say, well, that doesn't work for me. So it clearly isn't going to work for them if that's what I'm trying. And so Paul reminds us, and it's like a break, where he's like, okay, I want you to restore gently, I want you to bear each other's burdens, but make sure you're listening. Here's what I'm saying. Understand who you are. And then he goes back, and he says, verse 4, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. And see, this is why it's so important to see the truth about ourselves, because all of a sudden it opens us up to seeing something truly beautiful and amazing. Each one should test their own actions, should examine, should look carefully at their own actions, what's going on within them, so they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Here's another thing that I love about this passage. Paul says, I am, I am to examine and look carefully at myself and who I am at my own heart. Nowhere in the passage does he ask me to test and examine the actions of other people. He asks me to examine my actions, but he doesn't ask me to test and examine the actions of other people. Because this is about how am I going to speak to them. Not how am I going to convince them. And then he says... This, is, this part's kind of odd to me, actually. Each one should test their own actions so they can take pride in themselves. Well, haven't we learned through most of the Bible pride is a bad thing? Haven't we heard the, the things that say don't be prideful in all of those statements? 
And he, here he is telling us to be private, to take pride. And there's something here that's very subtle, that's very, very important, or else it's confusing. The word there that he uses for pride is a noun and not a verb. The pride that he talks about there is not a noun and not a verb. He does not tell you to be prideful. What he says is that you can take pride when you've explored and examined who you are. Because when you explore and examine who you are, you discover who God made you, right? That's why we went with the know the truth about yourself. Because you can take pride and joy in the fact that God thinks you're amazing. God loves you. That God is gentle and God is patient and that he will walk through these things with you because you are valuable. God wants you to have a sense of self-worth and value. And so he says, examine and, and then you can take pride in yourselves alone and not without comparing yourself to someone else. And so why is it important that we can take pride in ourselves, that we can celebrate who God made us to be and all that we are? It's because if we are not caught up in, in comparing ourselves to somebody else, not caught up in saying, okay, well, I'm better than this person, so I can be proud about that, or this person struggles with X, Y, and Z, and I only struggle with, you know, A, so I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm comparatively better than that. If we remove the the necessity of comparison, do you know what's left to fill that space with? Compassion. If we've gotten rid of the need for comparison, then we can fill our lives with compassion because we're confident in who Christ says we are and what he's going to do with us because compassion creates more change than being right. When we think of how am I going to say something, remember, compassion creates more change than being right. What do you really want? Are you wanting to win? Or are you concerned about their, their heart and their well-being? If we really want to help someone return to who God created them to be, then compassion Somebody knowing that you care for them, for who they are, that you understand that life is difficult and how a person could fall into sin. Not that you're excusing it, but that you understand how a person could fall into it. That is how we start to walk people along and find them restored. You know, think about the people in your lives today. Are there people we found ourselves, whether it's a spouse, a coworker, a friend, where we found ourselves lacking compassion and i'd ask you are you lacking compassion because you're busy comparing i know when i ask myself that questions oftentimes i discover i've been comparing and keeping score as opposed to just being compassionate and so he says see the truth of yourself then you can see you know test yourself examine yourself and then you can be you know proud of who I made you to be, and in doing so, you can then show all the compassion that you have to these other people, to somebody else. And then, look how he ends this. I think this is brilliant, what Paul does here. He ends us going into verse 5 and pulls it all together and helps us understand what allows us to do all of this is that we are in step with the Spirit. Remember back in verse 25? 
live with the Spirit, be in step with the Spirit. Because he says, for each one should carry their own load. That's how verse 5 goes. For each one should carry their own load. And the carry is the word that we, we saw before, you know, support, come alongside. But the word load, it is different than the word burden that he used. Burden was something that weighed you down, that, you, that was, was draining, that wasn't necessarily supposed to be there. The word load, it's, it's a word that is used in the Greek world for the cargo that is on a ship. If a ship is a cargo ship, it's supposed to have cargo in it, yes? Its whole purpose is to carry that cargo. If it has no cargo in it, it is not fulfilling its purpose. It's supposed to be there. Think back to keep in step with Christ. Hold to, hold to the Spirit. Hold to it. Follow. Be as close as possible. Carry. Paul is saying for each one, how do you do all of this? How do you restore gently? How do you make sure you're not comparing? Here's how you do. You remember that you are carrying this spirit, that you are deeply attached to this spirit. And if you can carry that thing that you're supposed to have, then you can do all these other things. You know, going back to that person I was talking about at the beginning, I told you, it wasn't working. Just kept going and going and going. And, uh, and, you know, one day I said, okay, this is not working. I'm going to try something different. And I, I came alongside and I stopped trying to point out, look, let me just lay out the facts for you. Look, just understand that I'm right on this one. Just trust me on this one. And I approached it differently. And I started trying to be gentle and patient and coming alongside and say, what, I see that there's something going on. Do you want to tell me about it? I see that you, this thing keeps happening. We've had this conversation. Do you want to tell me about why this? Is there something deeper there? And we got to get into a conversation and we start discovering that this person is struggling with feeling valued by others. And so the, the behaviors are, are somehow to either a reflection of I don't feel valued, so there, or maybe this will help me feel my own value. And then I get to come alongside and I get to, I, instead of saying, okay, well, stop, you're valued, because that doesn't work, I get to start that journey of patience and gentleness with them and take those small steps to help them discover not only are they valued by the people that love them, but they are valued by God. And I get to start seeing a change, not just in behavior, but a change in what's within them. Because here's, here's what I've discovered. We've been in this seven weeks, and here's what I've discovered. Galatians, is, it's not just about it, changing behavior. It's more than about changing behavior. It's about changing hearts. This whole letter Paul's written is about changing hearts. Because when you give up the power of being right and step into instead, step into gentleness and patience, what we're actually doing is stepping into the power that is able to change a heart. And this is what Paul calls us to. So, 
may your week be a week where you discover heart change, whether it's yourself or in others, but may you discover beautiful heart change because of how we've approached. Let's pray. Dear God, uh, we thank you that we matter more and that we are more than just our behaviors, our sins, our, our areas where we fall short. We thank you that, that we are a, a beautiful creation. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that. Sometimes we need to be brought back to that. But we thank you that that is something that we are. I ask that you give us all the ability to, to speak with patience and kindness and gentleness this week, to come alongside as opposed to stand in front and confront, uh, and, and allow us to be a part of heart change as opposed to behavior change. Thank you for your son who shows us how to do this and who made this all possible. In your name, amen. All right, real quick here. Uh, what do I need to tell you? One, we have our prayer place over there. So if, uh, if you are, are wanting to pray with somebody, needing some pray, prayer, go over there. We've got some wonderful people who want to pray with you. Uh, and then if you are visiting with us today, we're so glad you're here with us. Uh, I'd love to say hi to you. So I'll be right over here in this alcove by the, uh, the coffee spot over there. And I'd love to just shake your hand and say hi and welcome. So everybody have a great week. Have a great day off tomorrow. And we'll see you next week.